0: Father, thank you a most beautiful day weather-wise and a most beautiful day spiritually as we know you in our hearts. And we thank you for that. And we pray this morning, Lord God, that you would give us your wisdom and knowledge as we speak the word of God that, Lord, you have prepared for us. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you as we give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I would like to speak to you this morning on the subject, the value of community. The value of community. Communion with the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, it says, To greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen. In the message version of that same verse, 2 Corinthians 13 and 12, it says, Greet one another with a holy embrace. All the brothers and sisters here say hello. The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The key word in that verse is the word communion. And the word communion means fellowship with the Holy Spirit. To be associated with him in the community. It's a joint participation. And if you would, it's a social and spiritual intercourse with the Holy Spirit. It's a contribution that God gives to us. And in return, we exhibit proof of that fellowship by showing the fruits of God in our life. There must be communion with the Holy Spirit. I think one of the greatest tragedies in the church today is is that people really don't know the Holy Spirit. Wow. Wow. I think one of the greatest tragedies is the, in the church is how surface we are as Christians in our knowledge and wisdom of God. Right. Most Christians you speak to don't know much. They're not deep in God or in his word. There's not a community in their heart with the Holy Spirit. There's not a transformation in the inward man. And how do you know that? By the outward appearance of the man. If there's a transformation on the inside, if there's something going on inside, the fruits will show on the outside. And in our churches, many are growing cold and dead. There is no communion of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, in many churches, the Holy Spirit is not even mentioned. It's the third person of the Trinity the Holy Spirit has been ousted and ostracized from the house of God. Then there's communion with Jesus. Jesus answered in John 14 and 23 and said, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. There's the fellowship again. There's the community. Look what the word says. If a man loves me, will keep my words it's a covenant and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him so many christians are miserable and they're miserable because they don't have the communion and fellowship of the holy spirit they're miserable because they don't have the communion and fellowship with jesus christ when you look at that word and it says if a man love me he will keep my words And my Father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. The word abode means that God wants to dwell in us. God wants to fellowship in us. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling among believers. God does not want to depart, but he wants to tarry with us. In so many churches, the Holy Spirit has departed. In so many churches, the candlestick has been removed from the house of God. The word abode means to be present. God wants us to be present in his fellowship. It means to continue that we not perish. The word abode means to last and to endure, to live and to remain. And when the enemy comes against us, when we're abiding in Christ, he can't touch us in the name of Jesus, because we will not want have to have a desire to sin, but we will want to have a desire to have communion with the Holy Spirit and fellowship with God. It's that fellowship that protects you. It's that community. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, and this is a heavy verse. It says, the cup of blessing which we bless... Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? What's God saying here? God's saying when we take the cup, he says to examine yourself. Not to take that cup unworthily. And when we fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and we fellowship with Jesus, and we take that cup, it's a participation in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the broken body of Christ. Praise God on that cross we have lost fear in the church we have lost fear among Christians. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. What's that saying? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That communion again means fellowship, association, community, joint participation. It means intimacy. It means that the, it's, a, it's a pledge of fellowship. It's exhibiting proof of that fellowship that we have community with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come on. How can we take the cup and go out and sin willfully? How can we take the cup and not be courteous to even our fellow brothers and sisters where the Holy Spirit says to and greet and greet one another with a holy embrace? There's a disconnect. There's a disconnect when we're not in fellowship with the Trinity. And when you're not in fellowship with the Trinity, there's a disconnect among brothers and sisters in the Lord. There's a disconnect. There's not an intimacy. There's not a a fellowship. The Bible says that we must have communion with God in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 22. And this must have been a frightening situation for Moses. And he says, and there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all the things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. God wants to commune with Moses. God's saying, we're going to have fellowship. There's going to be a participation. There's going to be an intimacy. There's going to be a spiritual intercourse between God and man. What does it mean to commune in this verse? God was saying to Moses, My son, I want to speak with you. I want to declare some things to you. I want to converse with you. I want to give you some commands. I want to give you some promises. I want to give you some warnings. I want to give you some threats. Yes, he did give threats to the children of Israel and said, If you don't do this, I will do this. It's no different today. Some people think the gospel has changed. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not changed. He's saying to Moses, he's saying, listen. I want to lead you. And I want to put the enemy to flight in your life. What's he saying to Moses? He's saying to Moses this. These are different things that God wants to speak to us about things in our reference with our walk with Christ. He wants to speak what? Declarations. Commands. He wants to speak warnings and threatenings. He wants to sing praise God to us as we sing back to Him. It's called fellowship. It's called intimacy. Having a relationship with Christ is like having an intimacy with your wife. Husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Marriage is supposed to be typical of our relationship with the Trinity. A marriage is supposed to be typical of our relationship with the Trinity. But when we have a disconnect in marriage between man and woman, there is no fellowship with the Trinity in that situation. There's a disconnect. And you can't be blessed. It's impossible to be blessed when there's a disconnect. God will not hear the prayers of a man That's right. who does not love his wife. The Bible says that. A curse will come upon us. The Bible says to cherish the wife of your youth. Right. Cherish her. Amen. How can we, when we don't have fellowship with that Holy Spirit and with God, Bible says in the book of Matthew to bring it into the New Testament place it says but thou that's you when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You know what God is saying? He's saying the same thing that God said to Moses in the book of Exodus. He's saying the same thing to you. I want to talk to you. I want to give you some commands. I want to give you some declarations. I want to give you some warnings. I want to give you some threats. This is what God is saying. Come on. He's saying this to the church. Amen. What's he saying? Get in your closet. You know what the word closet means in Greek? It means a storage chamber. It means a dispenser or distributor. I'll explain. It's a storeroom. It's a chamber, especially in an inner chamber. It's a secret room. You know what God's saying? Shut yourself in. I want to talk to you. Shut yourself in in the last day. The Trinity wants to meet with you. Shut yourself in. I'm going to come, praise God, and I'm going to abide in you. And if you abide in me, I will give you direction. I will give you intimacy. I will give you fellowship. And there will be a joint participation in our relationship. There's a disconnect among Christians because people are refusing to grow and to grow up. There's a disconnect because people are not allowing God to transform the inner man. It's an outward expression. When the inner man is transformed, the outward expression will show love and kindness and respect. It will show fruits of the spirit. The Bible says you shall know them by their fruits. And when the fruits are not produced, it's an indication when you discern the spirit and motive of a person that they are not really connected with the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there's no one speaking to them because they're not in the prayer closet. So what does God do? He brings a preacher. What? He brings a preacher. He brings a prophet. He brings a man of God. He brings a watchman. To do what? To share with the people, reconciliation. Communion with God is based on a few things. Listen here. It's based on, number one, reconciliation. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 5.18? I'll read two versions. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What does this mean? In the message version it means this. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him. Obviously there was a controversy. Obviously we were in sin. And the Bible says that God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah. Giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. This is the ministry of preaching. This is the ministry of the church. Amen. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. It's the ministry of Letting people know that we must have fellowship with the Trinity. That we must have fellowship and participation with the Holy Spirit, with God, and with Jesus Christ. And then, there's an acceptance of Christ. The communion with God is based on a few things. Reconciliation, coming to Christ. It says in John 14 and 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, but by Jesus. And then there's obedience. And Jesus said in John 14 and 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So in order to have communion with God, there must be a reconciliation, a forgiveness of sins. There must be an acceptance of Christ. There must be an obedience to Christ. The Bible says in 1 John 1 and 7, but if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When we don't walk in the light, we're doing exactly the opposite. We're walking in darkness and there is no fellowship according to 1 John 1, 7. How can we have fellowship? If we're out there doing things that aren't pleasing to God. How can we have fellowship with our wives and with our children if we're not lined up and abiding in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the love of God's hand? How can we have that kind of fellowship? There's a disconnect. That's why when most Christians get together, it's just they just talk about the Willy Bobo stuff of life. There's no depth. There's, there's nothing in there. What's God saying to you? What's God speaking to you? Are people really reading the Word of God? Are they really studying the Word of God? So there must be reconciliation, there must be acceptance, there must be obedience. And then God throws this on us. There must be a holiness. And what is holiness? It's disconnecting with the world and connecting with the Trinity and connecting with each other. That's called community. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Here's what the Word says. But be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what path hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you, listen to the word, are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. There's a disconnect when we go out there and live an unholy life. Amen. Come on, we can't be connected. There cannot be an intimacy between me and you if one of us is in sin. It's impossible. Come on. It's impossible. We can talk about God. You can talk in tongues. You can do all those wonderful things. You can be great in what you do. But we don't have an intimacy. There's a disconnect because we don't have community between us. There's no bridge that's going to your heart to mine. The Bible says to shun sin. The Bible says to shun brothers and sisters who depart from the faith and don't live a holy life. God's coming. He's not coming for an impure church. He's not coming for a church that lies with infidels. He's not coming for a church that lies with the world. He's not coming for that kind of a church. It's a blood-bought church. He purchased it with his blood, with his body, that was broken, that was tortured, that was humiliated and embarrassed before the world, before his mother, before the one that gave birth through the birth canal, the, 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 his brothers and, and his uh, disciples and his apostles. How can I not want to please him? How can I not want to have fear about what sin will do to me? And in turn, what it would do to my wife or to my family or to my grandchildren or to my friends or to my church that I pastor. Here's a question. Are we really surrendering to the Holy Spirit? Are we so busy in life? Are we so busy doing what we're doing? Are we so busy building our careers? Are we so busy building our egos and thinking who we are? The question the Lord posed to me is this. Are we connecting with each other? We can't if there's sin in our lives. We can't if you're not hooked up to the Trinity and connected. Are we making a positive difference in each other's life? If the answer is yes, then what exactly are we doing to accomplish this difference? I want to read that again to you. Are we connecting with each other? Are we making a positive difference? A positive difference. Not an adverse difference. Not a hateful difference. But a positive difference in each other's life. If the answer is yes, that we are doing that, then what exactly are we doing to accomplish this this difference? And if the answer is no, then what exactly are we not doing to accomplish this difference? It's two questions that God wants us to answer. There's no way that I can give you positive spiritual fellowship if I'm not in commune with the Holy Spirit and with God and with Jesus. If I don't allow God to speak to me and entrust to me his words, I can't give you anything. I can only bring you as far as I go with the Lord. Amen. If I only go to page one, all I could do is bring you to page one. We can talk, you can impress me, you can tell me how great you are, but guess what? God's spirit can discern in a minute where someone is in the Trinity. Listen to what I'm saying. The Bible talks to us about getting help and keeping us on the spiritual track. That's why God had preachers. That's why God had apostles and prophets. That's why God raised up people in the church to be watchmen. And I looked at this verse and I said, Lord, it's pretty, pretty about what you're saying to the church in America how do we keep people on track well we keep people on track by preaching the word of God 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verse 2 says this it says preach the word preach the word be instant in season and out of season reprove rebuke and exalt with all long suffering and doctrine What does this word, reprove, mean? I want you to follow this closely because this is the epitome of the sermon this morning. God wants to get our churches in America on track. And I know that this sermon will go out to different people. And I want people to hear what God's saying through his word. I'm not preaching to you Time Magazine or Newsweek. I'm not giving you some motivated speech here, some inspiring oracle here. I'm giving you the word of God. And the word of God says this. The word reprove means to rebuke or do what? Convince. Rebuke is not an easy word. The Bible says the word reprove means to show someone their fault. Mm. It means to convict. It means generally with a suggestion of shame of the person convicted. This is what preaching does. By conviction to bring that person to the light. The word reprove means to expose. Now let me stop here for a moment. And I've seen this many, many times in 45 years of ministry. When we don't confess our sins. God will air it out to the congregation. What we keep in secret. It's better to go to God and have. A true experience with Jesus. A true experience act of repentance. Not a godly sorrow that I got caught and I have a few tears. But a godly sorrow that brings a person to repentance. The word reprove here means to expose, to correct, listen to this now, to reprehend severely. Wow. It means to chide, to admonish, to call the person to account. To show one his fault. And to demand an explanation. We don't really practice church discipline anymore. Come on preach. I said we don't practice church discipline anymore. Mm -hmm. In America. People are actually suing pastors. Mm -hmm. When a pastor asks someone to be removed from the church. And not come back to the church. Until they get their life right with God. There's actually lawsuits against ministers. And churches. Because people have been excommunicated from a Christian church because of their behavior. We don't want to be reproved. We wanna be cuddled and coddled. We wanna talk. We wanna try to express our emotions. Listen, this is not a joke. This is God. God speaking to Moses and God speaking to the church. The Bible says to reprove and to rebuke. What does the word rebuke mean? It means to admonish or charge someone sharply. It means to straightly charge someone. It means to censor severely. It means the rebuke may be heated or it may be not. It means rebuke with sufficient cause and also effectually so as to bring the one rebuked to a confession or at least a conviction of sin. In other words, it means to convince the person that they're doing something wrong. It's hard to preach. It's hard to stand behind a sacred desk knowing that I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I didn't call myself to this. And I didn't put myself here. I didn't place myself in the ministry 45 years ago. God did. And I'm going to be judged greater than you, the Bible says, because I'm the teacher. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. The word exhort means to comfort, to call someone to summon them, to address them, to support them, speak to which may be done in the way of exhortation, to comfort, to encourage and strengthen by consolation, to exhort and comfort, to instruct and to teach. There are some people that need a reproof. There are some people that need a rebuke. And there are some people that need an encouraging exhortation because they're doing right by God. Come on. We have no fellowship. We have no fellowship. If we're outside the word of God, ex cathedra, and we're not obeying God in the spirit of holiness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is the calamity of the church across America. We like church growth. We like conferences. We like seminars. We bring in motivational speakers. But unless there's a repentance, and if you remember in the word of God, when John the Baptist came after 400 years of silence, John the Baptist came preaching one message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And if you look at the word of God, the first sermon that Jesus preached to the church was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Folks, it has not changed. Men have changed from the pulpit. Men have displayed their theatrical performances. Men have given inspired motivational speeches. Nonsense. Repentance is what's missing from the church. The great fear of God. So how can we help one another? I'm reminded of a story in the Bible concerning Job. And Job went through a great, great crisis. And Job lost everything in one day. But Job bowed down and worshipped God and sat in sackcloth and ashes. But some brothers came to him. How can we help our brothers and sisters keep on track? The Bible says in Job chapter 4 verse 2, If we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? I want to explain this to you. Some friends came to Job, and they knew he was going through a very, very difficult moment. And they said, Job, we want to speak to you. Job, we want to give you some advice. We want to confer with you. We want to give you some counsel. But you know the day we're living in? People look at us and they say, I got this. I'm good. I don't need counsel. But there's something in your spirit that's not lining up. There's something in your spirit that's preventing us to have intimacy. There's something in your spirit that's preventing us from having fellowship. Is it me? If it's me, I'll ask for your forgiveness. But if it's for you, can we speak to you and address the issue? And address it biblically through Christ. What's he saying? Listen to this. In Job chapter 4 verse 1, in the message version, it says this. Then Eliphaz from Teman spoke up. It says this. Would you mind if I said something to you? Under the circumstances, it's hard to keep quiet. You yourself have done this plenty of times. Spoken words that clarify, encourage those who are about to quit. Your words have put stumbling people on their feet. Put fresh hope in people about to collapse. But now you're the one in trouble. You're hurting. You've been hit hard and you're reeling from the blow. But shouldn't your devout life give you confidence now? Shouldn't your exemplary life give you hope? Think. Has a truly innocent person ever ended up on the scrap heap? Do you genuinely uh, upright people ever lose out in the end? What's, what's they saying? They're saying a few things here. But the thing that got to me was this. Job was a man that encouraged people, he loved people, he built his community, he shared his wealth. But now he was in trouble. And someone came and asked, Can I invade your space? Can I help keep you on track? Can I come into your sheepfold? But you know what you find in life today? People really don't want friendship outside of Facebook, people don't really want friendship outside of texting. People don't want intimacy and fellowship. We fear that. We fear it. When God says the value of community is important. We're afraid to be exposed. We're afraid to have someone know us. We're afraid. And we front. We're posers. We put on faces. We act like nothing's wrong. Everything is good. Every time I say good morning to someone, they say, "I see, how are you doing? Good." It can't be good because I look at your face, and my God, you didn't get the message that there's something wrong in your heart because your face would tell me if something was good. Come on, that's right. It's not good among Christians who say they're Christians when they don't fellowship with the Holy Spirit, but they don't take time with God. You see, we're really busy. But you know what I've learned in life as I got older? One skip of a heartbeat, and I'm somewhere else. I said, one skip of a heartbeat. I saw this with my mother. 35 congestive heart failures. I saw it with her. One skip of a heartbeat. She ended up in the hospital. We have no fear of God anymore. We don't have great fear. We think we can just go do our thing, say whatever we want, do what we want, and people who sit in the church think, I can go out and sin, and I can just say this little prayer. It kind of reminds me of a Sunday school teacher, a Sunday school superintendent many years ago in the church who was having an affair with a much younger woman. And every Sunday he would get behind the pulpit and he would discuss Sunday school and dismiss the classes. Everything looked good. But little did the congregation know that he was having an affair, a married man, with a much younger woman. Until the conviction of the Holy Spirit he couldn't take anymore. He couldn't take the conviction because the pastor of that church preached with conviction. He said, I'm here to shine the bow of the church. He said, I'm not here to uncover some 40-year-old man with a beard in a crib and uncover him. I'm here not to coddle you, Pastor Garland used to say, but I'm here to preach the word of God. Ask my wife, my Lord, when you were in the altar and that man walked behind you, his feet were like thunder. His feet were like fire. You felt the presence of Almighty God. And when you walked into the Fairlawn Church of God, my God, you felt the conviction from the pulpit. My God, you wanted to do right by God because you knew a man of God would expose you through the word and through his preaching. He was a straight shooter. And they hated him. And they tried to railroad him and push him out of town. But one thing about Pastor Garland, He was a tall man. He reminded me of Matt Dillon. Gunsmoke looked just like him. Tall man. And when the new sheriff came in town, they said, hey, he preaches too hard. He preaches the word. But guess what the sheriff did? he stayed behind the sacred desk and he said, I'm here to shine the bow of the ship. Praise God. And I'm here to bring the church where it needs to be in Christ. Intimacy with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How do you keep yourself on track? The Bible says in Psalm 4 and 4, and I love this verse, it says, Stand in awe and sin not. That's a command. God told that to Moses. God told that to Moses. Tell the people. Tell the people. Don't mess with me. Tell the people I'm a holy God. Warn the people. And you can read in the book of Exodus how many people died because of disobedience, because God directly spoke to them. Hey, listen, our pastor used to say this. You can bypass the Sunday school teacher. You can bypass your mama and your papa. You can bypass the pastor. But once you do all those things, now you find yourself in the hands of an almighty God. Come on. You find yourself in the hands of an almighty God. Mm-hmm. And our pastor used to say, the worst thing that can happen to a person that sits in a church is to receive the rod of chastisement from God Almighty. Mm-hmm. He said, it's better to hear it from your mama and your papa. It's better to hear it from your Sunday school teacher. And it's better to hear it from your pastor. But when you bypass all those avenues of grace and mercy, of warnings, you fall into the hands of an angry God, and he is a consuming fire. I told you before, and I've told you again, and I will tell you again this morning. When I was in revival with my wife for many years, I used to go to churches, church after church after church, and I used to seek out the old folks. And I used to sit down with them and ask them, "Tell me about the old revivals. Tell me about the old Roberts meetings. Tell me about the great men of God that came through the church." And I'd sit with them. And how many times did a woman of God or a man of God say this to me? In our church, we had to walk three to four or five miles just to get to the church. The church was always full. Didn't matter if it was winter. Our pastors used to come out of the church who preached holiness and people would break the windows of the church. They would throw tomatoes at the pastor. They would threaten the pastor with death because he preached the word of God in the community. But how many times did those older folks say this to me? They would say, young man, how many times did this happen in our revivals where God spoke to a man or a woman and the only heat they had in their church was a potbelly stove. And they would say to the man or a woman, Go and open up the potbelly stove and take out coals of fire in your hand and walk up the aisle of the church. Walk up the aisle of the church. And when they walked up the aisle of the church, people screamed and ran to the altar and repented before God. And they put the coals of fire back in the potbelly stove. And there was not one blister on their hand because God. what they want the pastor to preach. I'm okay, you're okay. No. No, my job is to help people get to heaven. Amen. My job is to preach the word of God Amen. to myself, to my family, to the congregation that he's made me an under-shepherd. You cannot stand behind a sacred desk Unless you have the courage of God and the boldness of the Lord that Paul the Apostle prayed for to preach the word. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. What does it mean? Talk to yourself. Challenge yourself. Charge yourself. Consider. Declare. Make declarations to yourself. Where are you going? What are you doing? And then publish it. Require something of yourself. Speak to yourself. Think about your life. Reevaluate. Have priorities in order. Come on. You might not be a leader, but there's someone who is following you. That's right. I said, You might not be a leader, but someone's always watching you. That's true. You hear me? There's enough to deal with with the generational curses in our families. That's right. <clears throat> I said there's enough to deal with with generational curses in our families. To protect our children and our grandchildren from those generational curses. And I challenge you to look in your family and look at the thread that goes back to your grandpappies all through the line alcohol, drugs, adultery, pornography, gambling. It's a thread. And unless you draw a line in the sand and you tell the devil you're not coming across that bloodline in the name of Jesus. But you can't say that to him unless you're covered by the blood. You can't say that to him unless you're covered by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't say that to him unless you have fellowship with the Trinity because he'll march right in the front door. Come on, preach. And he'll play your child. Just like you were played when you were a kid. I know all about that I know all about alcohol I know how it took my nephews life my father my uncles my brother it's a thread that ran through our family and when I got married I said God I can't do this I've been without a drink for 45 years and don't tell me God can't keep you Come on. Don't tell me God can't keep you from temptation. Don't tell me God can't keep you from sin. Amen. You can't tell me that. Come on. Because it's a choice. And Joshua said, choose you whom this day you will serve. If you're going to go serve the devil, go serve the devil. But leave your family alone. Come on, Go serve the devil. Go lay with horse. Go lay with idols. Go lay with the world. But leave your family alone. And all across America, we have conferences, we have seminars, we're trying to make people this and that, but we're not addressing the real issues. And the real issues is that we have forgotten God in our churches for the most part in our country. And I'm talking about Pentecostal churches. I'll speak for our own group. We've lost the power. We're like Samson. We're shaking ourselves and there's nothing there. The Bible says in Psalm 77 verse 6. It says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. Do you have a song? You only have a song if you have fellowship with the Trinity. It says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. You know what that means, commune? It means I meditate upon my bed. I've got a song, praise God. I ponder, I sing to the Lord, hallelujah. I study, I want to know God, hallelujah. I talk to God, and I want God to talk to me like God spoke to Moses. You can't do that unless you're connected. Come on. And we don't have fellowship. We don't have fellowship. When you're not connected, or I'm not connected, it's just cordial talk. It's just surface nonsense. What happened here, who said this, who did that, what's going on at work, who won the football game. And that's all wonderful. Mm-hmm. But iron sharpens iron. And in the last day, you're going to need more than a football score. Come on. I said, in the last day, you're going to need more than Willy, Wo- Willy Bobo talk. In the last day, you're going to have to have spiritual Inclination and abiding in his presence to help sharpen someone. Let me show you an example. In Luke chapter 24, verse 13, Jesus was just crucified. And behold, two of the disciples went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed, look at the word, communed together, And reason, they're Christians. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? What's Christ saying to these two disciples? Listen, they had communion together. But there was something missing. There was a block. They were Christians. They just came from the crucifixion. And they were walking home. And the Bible says they communed, which means they were in company with each other. They they had an association. They stayed together. They walked together. They conversed together. And the Bible says, Jesus said, and what manner of communications? What what are you saying? And they had this discourse with Jesus. And they're basically saying, "Don't, don't, don't you know what happened? Aren't you aware that our Christ was crucified on the cross, and Jesus is right there? You see, Jesus could be right there, but not here spiritually. See, people only go so far with Jesus. They get a little nervous when when you say, "Why don't you just cross over into into that deep water?" Oh, no, don't talk to me about that now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, i am not going there? But that's a holy roll of stuff. No, no. It's the Old Testament stuff. Where people, praise God, came under the power of the Almighty, the Shekinah glory. It's the New Testament stuff where the power of God came upon the early church, yes. Come on. When Ananias came in and lied to the man of God, they took him out. He dropped dead right in the church. And when Sapphire came in and she lied to the man of God, Peter, and she dropped dead in the church and they took her out. But the church service continued. There was no wailing and warning. There was no crybabying. Took him out and buried him. Took her out and buried her. And the church, praise God, great fear came upon the church. The church still had a church service. Even though there was two deaths right there. People think, hey man, I'm good to go. I said this little prayer. God forgive me, you know I screwed up. I robbed First National Bank of a million dollars. God, I know. I buried it somewhere. And the Lord, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I did that. I'm going back to church today. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Wait a minute. Do you know what, what happened to these men? You see, Jesus walked all the way home with them. And in the Middle East custom was you can't allow someone to walk 15 miles with you and not invite them into your home. You have to at least get a basin of water and clean their feet and give them a meal. And, and they they, they constrain Jesus They didn't know who he was You see a lot of people that sit in church Really don't know who Jesus is what? It's just talk they, they don't really know the Lord mm. they, they, they say they know the Lord But they don't really know the Lord Because they never grow They never grow They never go beyond a certain point And so Jesus sits down with them And they had this big talk This big discourse And he took bread And he broke the bread And all of a sudden he disappeared. And the Bible says that these men said, didn't our hearts burn within us? When the church allows their heart to burn within, when there's a real experience with Jesus, our hearts will burn within. Hear what I'm saying. When we have a real experience with Jesus, our hearts will burn within. And when we greet each other, our hearts will burn that we both know Christ and that we're both going in the same direction. You see, my friend, there's a mystical bond between Christ and each other. Paul said this in the Message Version in Ephesians 3.1. It says this, This is why I, Paul, I'm in jail for Christ. Having taken up the cause of you outside, as so-called, I take it that you're familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody. I got the inside story on this from God himself as I just wrote you in brief. As you read over what I have written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's spirit through his holy apostles and prophets of this new order. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him... All their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming everyone across the board. This is my life's work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. What's it saying? This is our work. As we bond in Christ, others will know us, Him, by our love. We will be the reflection of Christ to the world. And we have to ask ourselves this morning, where I've been this week, what I've done, have I been a reflection of Christ to the world? We will be witnesses the world will not be able to deny on judgment day. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God who go forth and proclaim the praises of our God. Have we reflected that in our behavior this week is the question that God is asking the churches across America. And he's asking the pastors that. You've heard the scandals. Priests. Sexual violations. It's not just in the Catholic Church it's in the Protestant church it's in the Episcopal church it's in the Lutheran church it's right behind the pulpit men of God so to speak they call themselves we call ourselves men of God steeped in pornography steeped in affairs steeped in sexual improprieties 1800 ministers a month are leaving the ministry It's not all because they're preaching the truth, my friend. It's because they've been found out. And God has removed them. He said in Jeremiah 3 that God in the last day would give people pastors, spiritual fathers, to bind up the wounds, to warn the people, to love the people. Because God says, my pastors have become dumb dogs. Read it for yourself in Jeremiah They become dumb dogs. We preach prosperity. We preach pie in the sky. We preach all these wonderful, motivated thoughts and all this oracle stuff. But how many preach repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand? We don't even talk about the rapture anymore. We don't even talk about the second coming of Christ in our churches. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. That's fellowship. I stand. What does that mean? It means Jesus is saying, I'm in your presence. I stand firm, fixed, and established. I am of a steadfast mind. I do not hesitate or waver. I stand safe and sound and ready and prepared as I stand by you. I'm knocking on the door. How many doors is Jesus knocking on this morning in the church world? Come on. Do a Google study on how many pastors don't even believe in the death and resurrection of Christ. How many don't believe in the physical resurrection of Christ? How many don't even believe in hell? How many don't even believe in the virgin birth? And they're standing behind pulpits this morning preaching to people. What are they preaching? What can you possibly preach if you do not believe the fundamental tenets of our faith, that Jesus was born of a virgin, died on the cross, and rose again on the third day? What can you possibly preach to people? And what can we possibly say to people if we're not connected to the Trinity? Let me close by reading this. God gave me some words. This verse in Revelation is saying this. He is right there. A fingertip away, the turn of a doorknob, his voice can be heard. His desire is toward me, Solomon 7.10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Outside our door, ready to speak, ready to teach. The teacher is ready, but where is the student? The atmosphere is charged with his presence. It explodes with love and wisdom and knowledge. It wants to be received. It cries in the streets. It goes to extremes to be heard. You can smell its fragrance in the air. However, something is required of the potential listener. He must turn toward the voice. He must take hold of the doorknob. He must turn the doorknob. He must not be afraid of the entrance of deity. The listener, the student, must become enveloped in the relationship. Head over heels, wild abandoned, like young love, like the dew upon the early morning grass, like a gentle rain that falls upon the earth, like the early morning tulips that open up their petals. The student must be ready to be overwhelmed by his love and his presence. An open heart, a listening ear, and a teachable spirit is what is required. He stands, we must not sit. We must arise and let him shine upon our lives. The light is available. The truth has been published. The book has been written. Are you ready to have your heart burn within as his presence enters through the door like the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke twenty-four thirty-two? And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Is it just one and done? Preach the sermon and go home. That was nice, Pastor. See you next week. We'll do this again. God is looking for reformation. There's no outward change unless the inward man is transformed. I said there's no outward change unless the inward man is transformed. Yeah. We've been teaching on trouble, affliction, and adversity. God allows that to come into our lives so that we can find him in a greater way. King David said, it's been good that I've been afflicted because it's caused me to search for God's statutes and his commands. Listen, we can stay in a state of denial. We can have all the defense mechanisms, justifications, minimizations, All the nonsense that we all have displayed and have seen and observed in other people's lives. But my friends, make no mistake about it, one of these days, this book will come to pass. You see, Abraham, the Bible said, was looking for a city whose foundation and whose maker and builder was God. Listen. Ultimate and eternal communion with God is when we get to heaven. This is a journey. We're pilgrims in a world that does not accept us. But when we disconnect from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we become just like them. And we jeopardize our standing with God. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 10, as I close, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is a God. It's Abraham. But in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 16 and 17, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them into living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes what's God saying I believe God's saying son be ready stay ready stay holy stay connected at moment, come on. because at any moment come on. the door to the ark as it did in the days of Noah can close Hear me. Amen. The doors to the ark of safety can close. The prophet of God said these words. It is a step between me and death. Are you ready? God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening.